Hello and welcome to the sixth series of our Maritime Impact podcast. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director Environment for Maritime at DNV. In July, IMO took bold decisions when reviewing its GHG strategy, strengthening the reduction targets with a new deadline for zero emissions by 2050. And as already pointed to in a previous episode highlighting those key decisions, we now also have more ambitious intermediate checkpoints that we need to reach and which will have great immediate impact. For 2030, only seven years down the road, shipping has to reduce its emissions by 20% while striving towards 30% compared to 2008 levels. For 2040, the numbers are 70% striving towards 80%. Additionally, for 2030, the reduction target is supplemented by a goal of an uptake of zero or near zero greenhouse gas emission technologies, fuels and or energy sources, representing at least 5%, also here striving for 10% of the energy used by shipping. And as already mentioned, this 2030 target is one where energy efficiency and sustainable biofuels, other alternative fuels, possibly supplemented by an increased uptake of wind power, would be expected to play the most significant role. We also, of course, have the EU ETS, which was comprehensively discussed in previous episodes, coming into force in just a few months. This regulation will impose costs on emissions for ships operating in the EU. And finally, one year after that, we have the few EU maritime regulation kicking in. So, how can the industry move from essentially being paralyzed by the numerous new and stricter regulations to making targeted efforts and implementing reduction measures that actually work? In this episode, we want to focus on the energy efficiency aspect where most ship operators still have the greatest direct influence by making investments and utilizing available technologies. How can we accelerate the uptake of energy efficiency measures? And how can we incentivize a whole maritime industry to invest in reduced energy consumption and not only the big players? I am very pleased to welcome Christian Bonfis, CEO of Copenhagen Commercial Platform, to the podcast. With CCP, Christian is focused on commercial decarbonization. He is also involved in Miro's motion as an investor and chairman, focusing on data accuracy for better performance and new contracts. I'm also happy to have a second guest, my good colleague Hans Anton Tveta, Business Development Manager, Energy Efficiency at DNB Maritime, with us to discuss the various options and implications in detail and how they can be translated into a commercial setting. We hope you enjoy the episode, and now on to the show. Christian, Hans Anton, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Eric. Yeah, and for having me as well, Eric. Pleasure to have you both on board, guys. Um, as already summarized in my intro, um, the pressure to decarbonize is increasing, and our latest maritime forecast to 2050, that was launched a couple of weeks back, also highlights uh, the urgency of using energy efficiency measures to you know, both reach short-term goals and, of course, to keep vessels commercially attractive, which I think we'd all agree is quite significant in this day and age. Now, uh, but by 2050... Uh, what we find in our forecast is that one-third of shipping emissions reductions really needs to come from energy savings. And during the panel discussions at the launch event, um, that also included you know, leading voices from industry, so it was not just the DNV saying this, it really became very clear that the financing of new builds or retrofits is being tied ever more closely to green projects and to long-term decarbonization strategies, etc., etc. So 
if, if you look at the many options for energy efficiency measures, uh, what do you, Hans Anton, see as the most promising ones these days and for the foreseeable future? Well, in addition to what you mentioned uh, on the urgency of using more energy efficiency measures to decarbonize IREC, I think we also need to acknowledge that um, with increased cost of fuel and with uh, the cost of emissions, the business case for energy efficiency investments will start to look really good as well. So that's why I see, uh, you know, not only will we make use of what we have, there will come a lot of new technology uh, into the game, uh, offering all sorts of saving to the industry. And I think, you know, if you if you start to add up all of these uh, savings altogether, you are uh, starting to wonder if all what is promised, then the you can wonder, will the ships start to produce fuel? <laughs> uh, well, obviously not, but there are some technology measures that will work uh, good for your ships and some that will have a more limited positive impact. I think it all depends on the ship and how you operate it as well, because different ships, they have different characteristics. Uh, we're talking both technically and operationally and really understanding speed profiles, requirements to your cargo operations, the port restrictions, uh, how your hull is designed are all crucial elements when selecting the most promising technologies. Also, which technologies really work in combination? Uh, still, there are many low-hanging fruits here. Uh, weather routing, speed reduction, we know, we, we've all heard about that. Um, quite low direct investment cost in those. And uh, fairly every, every ship would have some kind of benefit uh, to it. Then you have more advanced technical measures like uh, wind-assisted propulsion systems and air lubrication systems that are really starting to gain some traction in the maritime lately. These require more thorough analysis uh, to really estimate the efficiency gain more accurately for a certain ship with a certain operational profile. But if you, if you get it right, they can really have some good savings uh, under the right circumstances. So um, you mentioned in your introduction, Eirik, that uh, wind-assisted propulsion can be good. And yeah, we have seen, uh, seen examples of yearly fuel savings between 5 and 9% for certain ship types, and some even claiming up to 25% saving. And the effect will, of course, depend then on what kind of uh, wind-assisted propulsion technology you utilize, be it uh, these flattener rotors, rigid soft sails, or kites, and also the way to that you're able to dynamically uh, harvest energy from the wind. So it's likely that you will also see not only um, the wind-assisted propulsion uh, in isolation, but also uh, in the combination with the weather routing for more optimized maximizing effect of the wind-assisted propulsion system. So there, there you come back to what I said in the beginning, how does things work in combination and wind-assisted propulsion and, and weather routing are one such example. Then, then you, of course, have to take into consideration the stability of the ship and structural integrity of the hull if you do something like that. And also then will you get into the port and do your cargo operation. Air lubrication is uh, presently seeing a high rate of uptake, particularly in the container and gas carrier segments. You, um, by introducing bubbles in the boundary layer between the hull and the seawater, you can achieve a reduced frictional resistance. And the frictional resistance can account for as much as 85% of the total resistance on some ships. That depends on the speed profile, of course, again, and, and the hull design. But uh, the net 
power savings being promised by some manufacturers are in the ranges of 4 to 7%. That's under normal operating conditions. Here you have more, uh, the, the improvement potential here are, uh, are more on uh, how to create a more stable air layer um, for a larger distance downstream uh, of the, the release units and how it will work in combination with, for instance, hull coatings. So, so there's a lot of options uh, on the market already. More will come. Uh, I think it's crucial for shipper operators and owners to do a comprehensive analysis, collaborate with uh, experts to take, this in, to take the informed decisions uh, that will work for your ship and the way that you conduct uh, your business and without compromising them uh, on safety. Thank you for that uh, quite detailed overview, Hans Anton. And I know we're just really scratching the surface here because there are, of course, uh, numerous other technologies also that could be introduced here. Um, What we see, of of course, um, and I'm looking at you, Christian, is that uh, getting these technologies into or on board ships really also means that it has to be commercially incentivized somehow. I mean, this has to make economic sense, not just environmental sense. These things have to go uh, hand in hand. And how, how, how can we accelerate the uptake? What really needs to be done? How do you really incentivize the whole maritime industry and not only the biggest players with the, with the deepest pockets here? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And I think, first of all, the problem is real. Uh, everyone and every industry need to act, I mean, including the maritime one. I think th- the good part is that everyone on the planet would benefit uh, from the actions that we will take. Uh, I think we have, have started a little bit late, so there's a lot of catching up to be done. Um, and you and you mentioned that there, are, that there are many solutions to navigate in, and I think we need to explore them all. Some are new fuel types, some are new technologies, and some are, are, are years ahead of us. But I also believe that, that there are things we can do uh, now uh, that will have an immediate impact and that we can also do on the existing fleet. Um, I think in general, fuel will be more expensive going forward. So the savings we will do will just represent a higher value. Um, what we have looked at is, uh, I mean, uh, more uh, commercial decarbonization versus Hans Anton's idea of, of the technology uh, behind. And I think going forward, it needs to be a bigger collaboration between the technology and then the commercial matters. What we have looked at is um, how can we change the contracts that the fixed uh, that the ships are fixed on. I mean, the contract between a, a traditional charter and an owner, um, and and the mindset and the thinking behind them. Um, the issue with these contracts, they have been revised over years, but they have never been built to decarbonize. I mean, the main issue is that no one is incentivized in these contracts to optimize in in respect of of the of the environment and uh, to accelerate decarbonization. The contracts are based of uh, inaccurate data, which have built in uh, lots of tolerances in them in terms of speed and consumption. Uh, and 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 that inaccurate data ha- have just uh, misled the industry uh, in a way, I, I feel. And in order to, to optimize, we need to inject the the data we now have available uh, we need to change the mindset where the ships are sailed as per warranties i mean a good example is that you you sail fast and then you wait uh, once you come to a port uh, and the contracts 
between the charters and owners does not really incentivize any of them to collaborate against a more optimized uh, performance. Um, so as I said, now we have data available. Uh, we have data available of, of high quality and the, the owners and charters need to look into how can we uh, how can we inject that into into these contracts? Thanks, Christian. Um, uh, interesting parts of the blueprint uh, there, um, especially your reference to the traditional hurry up and wait syndrome that uh, plagues shipping in many ways. I mean, this goes back to old style contracts, uh, and they definitely need to be improved. Uh, I, I would one hundred percent agree with you there. Um, you, you point to, to data, though, and that, that's that's interesting. Because, of course, if we're going to be making good decisions here, we uh, uh, I can only imagine that we really need to have good data sets in order to make it all work. So, so Hans Anton, how, how do you see this? Essentially, the role of data, only something of academic interest to whole analysis specialists, or do you see it as a real enabler and driver for investment in the commercial space? How do you think about this? Well, it's it's for sure it's it's uh, it's interesting to academics as well. But you know, if you can recall my previous answer, Eric, uh, I gave you some pretty wide estimation to the benefits of industry propulsion systems and air lubrication systems, and I had to do that because it is the the impact indeed vary from ship type to ship type and from operational profile to operational profile. So I think that data is is uh, will play a pivotal role in being able to measure and quantify the effects of the different energy efficiency measures, also in a realistic seaway. Because without any reliable data, it becomes a challenge to really assess uh, the actual impact of these measures, to to validate uh, what you have uh, estimated on beforehand and understand, are you really getting uh, what you have paid for? So in order to do this, you need to ensure that you have like data which is relevant, of high quality, and has the level of accuracy uh, and also the frequency to allow for the isolation of the, the, the effects of these measures and then minimize the uncertainty. And uh, we, when we are talking about reshaping commercial perspectives and contractual agreements, as per Christian's insight, the, the process of verification becomes also uh, important because verification serves as a mean to validate the uh, observed uh, outcomes, align them with the expectations. And uh, I think, um, you know, when you have that in place, when you have that validation uh, and accuracy in place, uh, you can you can make informed decisions. Uh, you can have the trust, you can have the transparency and the credibility that you need in order for something like uh, that to work. Oh, okay, so so that, that, that's all well and good, Hans Anton. So assume that we have all this working, we we have the frameworks in place, we have the good data set. It's trusted, it's verified. Uh, we still have to um, uh, take that uh, step of lifting this into the commercial setting, and. And, and, and given the energy efficiency measures already in place, we assume they work, we assume they are quite effective, we assume that they reduce emissions and thus create lower costs, et cetera, et cetera. And we have the tools, we have the data. Still, how do you foresee actually integrating that data flow into the actual commercial arrangements from, from a business perspective? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you here, Christian. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a there is a demand, there's a rising demand from 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 charters to have an overall uh, greener profile, and they are very very interested that we that we revisit how the contracts are built. What what we have been working on with two major charters on the dry side is is what we I mean a contract between charters and owners. We call it an ECP. And the backbone of that is to use accurate validated data, uh, data that we we want to share live between owners and charters and the vessel. And and the idea is that the contract is changed. Uh, the idea is that the more efficient uh, the master and the owner perform the vessels, the higher they will get paid. Um, we have based our idea and our two pilot project with the with long-term charter where we every three months adjust the rate based on the last uh, three months actual performance uh, that will not be a rate that will that will go up and down a lot but maybe uh, around 10 to 15 percent adjustment but the charter will get exactly what they pay for at the same time the owner will be incentivized to perform best possible. And if they overperform, they will get paid better. The owner will also be incentivized to do more hull performance, uh, propeller cleaning, educate uh, crew better. And then in addition, I think that owners will certainly be incentivized to install energy saving devices. And, and as we spoke about early on, that fuel will be more expensive. I think we will see lots of retrofit in terms of energy saving devices the issue in the past have been that we cannot measure the effect uh, of these now you have data that you can use to validate these uh, investment which will then be linked to the charter it could be linked to the financing part of the vessels also i, th I think in in addition uh, to that uh, we saw that the um, DNV have uh, made a recommended practice and an index called uh, a vessel technical index. And I think that can be used uh, very commercially also. I mean, it can be, uh, I mean, we today we use the CI, but I think the VTI is a very, very good uh, supplement to the CII. I mean, with the CI, we often rate vessel as per how the previous charters performed uh, and not exactly how efficient it the vessel is with the with VTI, we can rate exactly how efficient the vessels are. That will be done uh, from the start of um, I mean, the ship leaving the shipyard or if they will be retrofitted. But this gives a very, very accurate and again validated measurement for how the vessels are performing. And I think if you if you need to change contract, bank loans linked to these, we need to make sure that the data is accurate and it's, and it's validated. And I think that would, that would, an index like that would only accelerate in investment in energy saving devices, it would thereby accelerate decarbonization, and it will have the benefit for both owners and charters. So I think that is, that is very, very interesting and a fairly low-hanging fruit because it can be done immediately. Mm. Well, th thank you for that, Christian, and thank you for mentioning the VTI, um, uh, um, because uh, all the things we've been talking about here is really, at the end of the day, it's focused on ship performance and how to lift that into the commercial side. And of course, um, 
making sure that you do this in a solid and robust way with uh, with a data set that everybody can trust. So, as I mentioned, we, we have uh, in the recently released this recommended practice on technical ship performance. And Hans Anton, you are intimately familiar with this uh, recommended practice. Can, can you tell us what this is about and, and who should be using it from, from your perspective? Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Eirik. Yes, indeed, I've been working on it for the last uh, couple of years as a project manager. Uh, it rests on two years of research in uh, in DNV. And what it's in short terms are is it's it's a new, accurate, transparent, standardized procedure on how to measure, quantify, and then verify the technical efficiency of a ship. And we launched it uh, now in the end of September. It is uh, fully open for the whole industry to use. And in this recommended practice, we then introduce the, the VTI, the Vessel Technical Index, as a metric, which, uh, which Christian mentioned. So this is, this is a metric which el- evaluates a ship's performance deterioration uh, from an as-new state, you can say. Um, so it, it takes basically uh, the, um, the shaft power of the ship, and then it accounts for the added resistance uh, working upon the ship from waves, wind, current, and temperature. These are the factors that are beyond a ship owner's control. And what you're left with is, uh, is a pure technical efficiency of the ship, be it fouled from hull growth or effective from new installed energy efficiency measures. So. So what you have then is is basically an open, transparent platform pr- procedure, so that you can uh, that you can base these contracts on, and that everyone can be ultimately benchmarked on the same premise and not to skew any competition. And it's not only charters and owners who will uh, have an I think will have a, a benefit or something like this. Uh, technology providers as well. Um, the ones uh, who uh, have technology that really work, then that, uh, that will show up. You, the effect will show uh, in the real world uh, measurements and uh, it will be verified by third party. So it's likely that they will have an uh, increased uptake of their technology and validated that their technology actually works. Um, then you have what you know, Chris mentioned, if it's uh, incorporated in a short party contract, uh, the ship owners can be credited for their investments uh, and, for, and for maintaining a technically good ship. Uh, and the charters will be able to choose the most fuel efficient ships and enjoying a reduced fuel bill in the process. Then you have yards being credited for having good designs and making use of energy efficiency measures, data providers will uh, experience uh, uh, increased market penetration, offering sensor integration, etc. So there are a lot of potential win-wins here on how Maritime can collectively work towards a more effective and uh, environmentally friendly uh, operation. Oh, th- thank you for that uh, rundown, Hans Anton. It sounds like this is intended to be all good things for everybody, essentially. Uh, so, you know, th- th- we're running out of time here. So I would like to... Th- Thank you both for your very insightful and interesting observations. It's, I think this has been a good conversation, uh, Christian Hans Anton. And I'm, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be, be here with me today. Thank you for your kind invitation. And uh, our pleasure. I, I think that in general terms, if I'm going to try to recap what we've talked about, we've, we've learned today a lot about how we can look at energy efficiency improvements in the commercial context. And I think that's important because we tend to talk about technology, uh, maybe 
maybe not too much, but we tend maybe not to talk enough about how it links to the commercial uh, incentive structures that we they need to actively investigate how measures can be uh, made commercially attractive and how they can be contributing to driving decarbonization. So just three key points that are my takeaways from this conversation. A, energy efficiency measures are critical, both in the global emission reductions context and also in a business setting. B, it's not only about the energy efficiency technologies themselves, it's also about being able to measure the improvements and ensuring that the data is made available. And that means that you need the trusted and the verified data. You need something like the RP we talked about to underpin that. And there is a need for new commercial and contractual structures to increase the investment willingness even more than what we're seeing already today. So with those three key points, I would like to um, thank you all for participating here. I would also like to mention that you should not forget to download and read our latest maritime forecast to 2050 if you haven't already done so. It provides a lot of additional insights in what to what we've been discussing today. It provides a lot of information on what shipping can actually do to successfully drive decarbonization. Uh, the download is available at dme.com, um, maritime-forecast. Uh, there you'll also find the link to the recording of the launch panel discussion that I mentioned at the top of this uh, episode. So with that, again, thank you, Christian and Hans Anton. It was great having you on board today. Thank you for joining us for this episode. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNV with me, Eric Nayus. It was a real pleasure to have Christian and Hans Anton on board today. These kinds of conversations and collaborations are, in my view, crucial in enhancing understanding on our journey towards decarbonization. In our next episode, I will provide you an update on the EU Fit for 55 package, where we're seeing additional decisions and clarity emerging, in particular on the ETS directive and on the fuel EU maritime regulation. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or a review. Thank you for listening.